Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masacha Beitza, daf hey, page five. So today we have, at least on Amanalov, there's a long discussion that stems from the from the takanot of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Yerdana, I know that you discussed these takanot some time ago because there was a takana in the time about the lulav, the lulav in the time of the Beit Hamikdash. I just before I even delve into what is going on here with regard to Beitza, I want to just mention a little bit more about who Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai was in our who's who capacity. So first of all, he was the Nasi of the Sanhedrin after after the destruction of the Second Temple, and that's the big deal because part of these takanot or the whole essence of these takanot rather was to figure out a way to help the the Jewish people function in the absence of the temple, which had been their center centerpiece and their centerpiece of, of ritual and of religion throughout. So he's considered one of the greatest leaders of the Jewish people, meaning ever, in part because of this, but also because he really, you know, he really was this pillar of, of the community, this pillar of Torah. Um, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the youngest of the students of Hillel Hazakain. He lived to be quite old. Um, and that may also that put him in the position of being a leader for many, many years. He, the Gemara and Sukkah, which we actually talked about, right, says he didn't neglect a single area of Torah, right? Meaning he was well versed in really all the the whole the whole kit and caboodle of what we're doing now in terms of the Dafyomi. He, uh, you know, was touched on every area of halacha, every area of shas. Um, Okay, the claim is that he was a modest individual despite his greatness. He was cordial. He would greet people, including non-Jews, in the marketplace. Um, and part of what is, you know, the biggest deal here is, of course, that right before the destruction of the temple, he was recognized as a leading scholar. So the, the scholars, the other scholars of that generation were his Talmudim. So when the question was, what should they do about the Romans? He was the person that they looked to. He's not the only position, you know, there were obviously, obviously there was a dispute, many disputes over, amongst the Jewish people, what they should be doing. But the question of whether they should revolt, whether they should negotiate, um, you know, this is exactly where he took a strong stand. And and he was really trying to make sure that the rebellion would end peacefully, um, which I think is something that, you know, people who have um, seen war, you know, this is he. He's already recognizing what's going to happen. He wants it to end up being a peaceful close. It's not so much what happens. Um, we know that obviously there's a destruction of the temple. There is also a tremendous amount of exile and a tremendous amount of destruction, not just of the temple but also of the Jewish people. Um, which is why, of course, which leads us again to his famous takanot, these famous decrees that were supposed to bring, or they did really help salvage the Judaism of the Jewish people. Um, there's I a very want to add here. I think it's you know the fact that we saw the takanot mentioned in Sukkah, we see the takanot mentioned here in Beitza. Um, that it's going to come up again in Masachat Rosh Hashanah. Like these were really major shifts in how Judaism was observed. Um, and I think we see that throughout this DAP, the way that it's talked about. So, you know, don't these takanot were really a major deal, and also that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had this authority to do it. Right. It, he he was accepted. I Meaning that's perhaps, you know, the, the key element to his leadership is that he was recognized as the authority. If there was one single authority, it would have been him in his day. The one thing I just want to note is there's a very, very famous story that we're not going to get to until we get to Masachet Kitin, getting it some, some time away, um, which is about his encounter with 
Vespasian, who at that time was the Roman general. And when we get there, we'll talk about, you know, the historicity of this story. But in terms of leadership, he was already then, at the before the temple was destroyed, trying to salvage the key elements of um, of the central focuses of the Jewish people. They couldn't salvage the temple already. He knew that. But let's keep the let's keep the rest of the Torah leadership and the Torah itself alive to the extent that they could. Okay, let's get to the death. So what happens is Amarava. So from the time of these takanot of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai onward, that is when we know that a that an egg that was laid on one day of Rosh Hashanah would be permitted on the next day of Rosh Hashanah. That's what we're talking about. So the fact that he's got um, these decrees, right, it's part of, well, let me continue here. Um the Tanan, Mishacharav Beit HaMikdash, Hitkin Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai, Okay, so the decree is as follows. After the temple was decreed, after it was destroyed, pardon me, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh, the Beitin, that the Sanhedrin would be willing, would be accepting of testimony about the sighting of the new moon all day long. By establishing that, right, there's a much longer period of time to be able to say that that day was Rosh Chodesh. And when that day, what we're talking about is not just Rosh Chodesh, but also Rosh Hashanah, then the implications of what day is Yantif, um, meaning is it is it that day? Is that day the 30th of the month of Elul, or is it going to be the Aleph of Tishrei? That's really the debate here in terms of when you can accept these witnesses. Um, the Gemara right before this is talking about, in fact, these witnesses coming from Mincha time onward, meaning the whole day long, which is the decree of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai. So the question here is, of course, what the implication is, what does that have any implication to do with the eggs? And that if you treat um, the, let's see, the witnesses come late in the day, they tell you when they saw the new moon, you decree the new moon to be the next day and, or the day after, right? That's exactly the question of how this is going to work. So okay. So what would happen is he says they can bring the, they can bring the witnesses until the end of the day. What that uh, means, the implication there is they know, Chazal knew what day was the right day on the calendar. They're just waiting for the witnesses to come so that they could still do the sanctification of the day, the Kiddush HaChodesh al that they could do it according to the witnesses themselves. <coughs> Excuse me. But what that means is because they knew which day was the real day, then there's no issue with worrying in the same way about the egg being laid on the first day, whether it would then be prohibited on the second day as an issue of Sveikadiyoma, because the Sveikadiyoma, the uncertainty about which day it really is, is no longer really all that uncertain. They know, right? They know that because one of those days is a weekday, meaning either it's the first day or it's the second day, then the egg can be eaten like if it was laid on Yantif, then you could eat it on, on the weekday. And if it was laid on a weekday, then obviously you could eat it on Yantif. So the, the decree itself, by allowing them to come later in the day, um, kind of allows them to go back to the recognizing that this is not such an issue. I feel like I have not explained this well. Yordana, can you uh, help me out here? What, where, am I not, where am I not clear as I feel like sh I should be? Uh, I, I think you did okay. I'm not sure what I would add here. Which okay. piece of it do you think wasn't clear? 
I don't know. I, I feel like the whole phenomenon of Kiddush HaChodesh and establishing the time, the calendar that we already know about, which means that we're waiting for the witnesses to come and tell us, meaning us, the, the Sanhedrin, what day is what, and then to keep track. Like, if they come in time, then that first day is Yantif. And if they don't come in time, then the next day is Yantif. And I feel like, so first of all, I want to chart to make sure that I know which day we're really talking about, which day is the real Yantif day, and which day is not the Yantif day. And now we're still now we're going to add to that mix the egg, right? The egg that was laid on the first day of these two days that we're not sure which day is the end of day, and which day is the whole day. In any case, we will certainly delve more into this once we get to Masachet Rosh Hashanah, where we're really talking more about the witnesses and when they come. Um, but let's. Go well, on. I would just say here. I think the observation to make is is that this stuff took time. Like we live in such an instantaneous world, that's why there was this time limit of mincha. You know. Because it just took time to send the messengers out or to get the fires. Like, this took a lot of time to do. This was not a quick process. I think that's a really important point. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so Amale Abaye. Abaye says to him, oh, Abaye is talking to Rabba. He says to him, <laughs> Didn't Rav and Shmuel say that the egg is prohibited? Meaning, after Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai, they're generations later. So Rabbi says to him, you're at a line, right? He says, I'm talking to you about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the great Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and you're quoting me, Rabbi Shmuel, generations later? Meaning as if that's an equal footing dispute, that he says it's mutter and they say it's asur. <coughs> so Rabbi's complaint here is to Abaye is, this is not apples and oranges, meaning Rabbi Yochanan's position by virtue of who he was, it should, you know, be inviolate when it comes to Rav and Shmuel generations later. Of course, the question is then going to be, why did they take that position? Well, the Rav and Shmuel, according to the opinion of Rav and Shmuel, then aren't we going to say that this Mishnah is difficult, right? Because the whole idea, but once you say it's Asur, then the question is, what are you doing with Rosh Hashanah? That it seems that Rosh Hashanah is no longer this unusual case. Lo kashya halan vahalahu. So the Gemara, in Gemara fashion, likes to resolve cases and say, it's really not a kashya, it's not really difficult, because this ruling, this case, was for us. Who's us? We who live outside of Eretz Yisrael, meaning the Gemara is talking in Gemara language about Bavel, and they were keeping two days of Yantif. So Rosh Hashanah was considered one long day and one long Kedusha, and then you can't have that egg on the second day, because it's the same thing as keeping it as if it's from the first day. This, I think, your data might be the part that I did not elaborate well enough at the beginning, right? The whole thing of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's Takana, A, it's taking place, obviously, in the land of Israel, but also, what by accepting the witnesses the whole day long, it eliminates, and, and then they come, right? Then it eliminates the possibility that those two days of Rosh Hashanah were really one long day. Because because we know, we know that they, the witnesses come and testify, it's either this day or it's that day, as opposed to saying that the one long day is if you have a suffix, if you have a doubt that cannot be resolved. But by extending the time that the witnesses could come, presume, and, and knowing the calendar behind the scenes, they, they eliminate the doubt, the real doubt. Um, right. I think that's really what the key point is, is that actually what Rabbi Yochanan Menzak did was eliminate the doubt. And that's right. what's key here. 
Um, exactly. So right. then one, one, I just want to finish this halahu. The halahu is this mission is for them, meaning those who live in Eretz Yisrael. So when Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai said they should accept the, the edut, the testimony, all day long, then even when Rosh Hashanah would still be observed for two days, and that is what happens in Eretz Yisrael today too, still each day is already going to be considered an independent holiness because one of those days was known and recognized to be a day of chol. Chol meaning an everyday weekday kind of day, not Rosh Hashanah, because it was known not to be Rosh Hashanah. Right, and I think that's what's key here. And it's interesting to see that, in other words, it's also acknowledging Mishnahs could be written, right, for, and we talked about this actually a lot with Sukkah, for different time periods, for different places, there's not necessarily a cohesiveness that Mishnahs are written only for one particular set of circumstances in a particular time and a particular place. And so we're seeing that reflected again in this stuff. Right. And I have just one little very brief bit of just to compl- just to complicate matters, not to complicate the Kiddush HaKodesh, to complicate the egg. Rav Yosef Amar, af mitakanat Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai ve'elach beitza asura. Rav Yosef says, it doesn't even matter, Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai's takana, his decree, because the egg is still going to be prohibited. Why? My tama, have davar she b'minyan, v'kol davar she b'minyan, sarich minyan acher lahatiro. So this is a really important halachic principle. The idea that we have um, any decree that is made has to be made by a baiting that has a substantial number. At least it, there have to be more people sitting on the court than the people who are on the, or greater, equal or greater than the number of people who are on the court before. So there was a vote that treated Rosh Hashanah as this one long day. And now he's made a takana. That's fine. But there has to be another vote of the Sanhedrin that would allow that egg to be eaten, according to Rav Yosef. Um, you know, obviously, Rav Yosef is not the only opinion here. Um, but this, I think, kind of just adds adds to the complication because you would think that Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai's, or the Gemara presents it that way to begin with, that Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree about the calendar, about the witnesses, has implications for the egg. And Rav Yosef's point here is, well, not so fast. So this stuff is really one long discussion. And now, you know, Anne, you started with this. We get into this opinion of Rav Yosef, uh, who's trying to explain why this beta, why this egg continues to be usser, um, even after, you know, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, uh, you know, they had this, this, this vote that this egg would be prohibited, and it wasn't actually um, ever uh, prohibited. Um, and, um, you know, the first piece of this is Rabbi Yosef needs to explain how does he know that you need a vote to, you know, rescind the takana that's made. Um, and then we have this interesting story with Rabbi Eliezer, um, you know, illustrating this. And again, the person who sort of gave the vote and reversed it, this whole thing with Karim Ravi is actually Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Um, but I'm going to start a little bit on, on Ahmed Bet here. Um, and, th- you know, they get into something interesting. So one of the things that Gemara tries to tease out here is, is that when we talk about needing a vote to overturn something, right, one ruling that was made and then you want to overturn it, this maybe would apply only to things that were prohibited that were a Raisa, but not by a Durabanan. But then they show, no, we have this story with Rabbi Eliezer with the Karam Ravi, and a Karam Ravi is all a Durabanan. And we see that they did need a vote in that case. The Ka'am Rile, Kavar Nimnu Alacha Chavecha right? The, the, 
end of that price was it said, you know, your 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 chaver, your your colleagues voted and it became permitted. So it seems like even with the Darabandan you would need this this voting. The Khitema Beitanami so then you could say maybe in this case of this egg that wasn't allowed, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai took a vote on it, and then he said, okay, it's now permitted. So the Gemara answers, So he says, no, when they took a vote, it had to do with this issue of testimony, right? When can you accept ages to determine the start of the month? But they did not vote, right, to talk about you know, annulling this prohibition of the egg. And so, therefore, Abaye says to Rav Yosef, Amr Abaye, Atu Mihave. Is this to say, right, that the egg, right, was prohibited by a vote? In other words, he's saying, okay, if you're going to say they didn't vote to, that they, you know, uh, didn't vote to make it mutar, right? But, you know, are you saying that at the beginning they did take a vote, altogether to make it asur. And then he says, mi have, right? He's like, uh, uh, sorry. So he says, beitza be'idut tulia milsa. So he says, when we talk about edut, right? Uh, that's, you know, that that's one thing, you know? Istar edut, istar beitza. Istare edut, istare beitza. And he makes a very important point here, which is he basically says, once we made asur, the testimony that allow of Kiddush HaChodesh in the late afternoon, then it changes everything about this egg that was laid on Rosh Hashanah, and it also becomes prohibited. But once we allow this age to be, to be permitted, right, then automatically uh, the, the egg becomes permitted. And so what his point is, is that you didn't need a vote about the egg to begin with, to make it Asur, because once you change the conditions by which Kiddush HaChodesh happens, and therefore you change basically what the Kedusha of those two days are like of Rosh Hashanah, in that is the way that you actually made the Beitza Asur. And then once you, you know, so so it's an interesting point. Abai is almost saying to Rabbi Yosef, you don't even need to worry about the egg case, because the egg case is completely dependent on the case of Rosh Hashanah and the Kiddush HaChodesh. And then we have the following, Rav Adam and Rav Simlan. Rav Adam and Rav Simlan, Travayumi Bey Kluchot, they both came from Bey Kluchot, Imri, and they said the following, Af mitakana Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai ve'elech beitza asura. So he said, from the time of this takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the egg was always to remain asura. My time, why? Mehera yibana beitza mitash, right? Quickly, the Beit HaMikdash should be rebuilt. The Yomru, Ashtaked Mishalo Achlun, Achlanu, Beit HaBiyom Tavshaini. Right? So what they're saying is, let's say the Beit HaMikdash quickly gets built, and then we know that we're going to go back to allowing the testimony only until Mincha, right? For Kiddush HaKodesh. We're not going to allow that it can be the whole day anymore. And what will happen? People will say, last year, weren't we allowed to eat the egg? on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, and also on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, right? So in other words, what they're saying here is, is that the reason why Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had to keep the egg asur is that we know that eventually in the future, how Kiddush HaChodesh and Rosh Hashanah, and until what time we accept testimony, is going to change. But people may not make the connection to the egg, that the egg became permitted or became a store based on how we were doing Kedesh HaChodesh for Rosh Hashanah. And therefore, what we're worried about is, is that if Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai made it permitted, right, when we were still at a time when 
the Eidut for Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Chodesh was allowed all day. Then the next year when the Beit HaMikdash is built, and now we could only accept it until Mincha, people may say, oh yeah, but we were allowed to eat the egg whenever we wanted, right? Hashta nami right? People are going to say, we still can eat it. And they're not going to know that there's a, basically, there's an essential difference here, that when we were allowed Kiddush HaChodesh up for the whole day using the Stakana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Basically, the two days of Rosh Hashanah are two different days, two different Kedushas. But now it's just one long day. But then it becomes one long day. Once we go back to only allowing the Kiddush HaChodesh or accepting the testimony until Mincha, then it only becomes one long day. And so I think this, the Gemara is going to go on and challenge that a little bit more, um, you know, because it's saying maybe they also shouldn't accept the testimony, um, you know, because people might get confused about that. But I, I you know, and, well, I'll read this part. And then it goes on to say, So it says, okay, maybe we won't accept the testimony either. Like, we won't actually change it the way that we did. We won't go back to Mincha. My time, Meheri Yibana Beit HaMikdash, V'yomru, Ashtakeid mi lo kibalnu eitud achaljash kolayom kulo, Hashtanami nekabal. Because maybe there's going to be confusion, and people are going to say, the Beit HaMikdash will be built, and people are going to say, oh, I remember last year we accepted testimony the whole day. So their point is maybe this takana is also an issue about only doing it until, uh, you know, doing it the whole day, because people will remember that they should go back to Mincha. But then the Gemara makes another interesting point. So they say, no, you can't compare it. We're not worried that the courts are ever going to get mixed up because we know the court is going to be able to distinguish the reasons behind all these different decrees and the timing and the Beit HaMikdash is here is not there. But when it comes to an egg, that has to do something that all the people keep. And maybe people are just going to get confused. It's not something that they would necessarily ask Chazal about. So I think we're, you know, learning a couple of other things, you know, a few things here. Um, First of all, the importance of these takanot and the fact that you couldn't just reverse something, right? The idea that something had to be voted upon and deliberately needed to be reversed. Um, Second, um, you know, the idea here that, you know, maybe when the Beit HaMikdash comes, well, not maybe, but the anticipation that when the Beit HaMikdash is rebuilt, many of these takanot might be reversed. And the third is, is sort of the sensitivity to that the court system will not get, the Besden is not going to get mixed up with some of these changes, but ordinary people may. And I think it's very interesting, you know, it's acknowledging something very much about the human condition, that it's very possible people will get confused year to year and they'll be like, oh, I did this last year, so it must be fine for me to do it again this year. Because I think it's acknowledging people may not always recognize or understand the reasons about why something was allowed or why it wasn't allowed. And so, you know, I think we're seeing here uh, some of the sensitivities, like, yes, we have takanot, yes, we needed to change things, but even going back to the reversal of change, so it seems like it was just better to keep this beta always asor. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this stop on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.